This morning, I'm excited for the word. We've started a series two weeks ago called Out in the Open. And Out in the Open is all about the beautiful message, the missiological message that we find in the first book of Peter, where he writes to the people of God who's living their lives in a hostile world. And he says, this is how you live out your faith And this is how you do it in a way that if anyone asks of the hope that you carry, that you will be ready to share your message of hope with the world. And part of that journey is understanding what the gospel is. We've been handing out these cards every Sunday. The first Sunday, there were the chairs, but some of you might not have been here or last week and you haven't received a card. I'll remind you after the service, you're welcome to take one, you're welcome to take ten. This is an opportunity for you to get to be clear in defining what the gospel is. And part of that journey is us reciting it together in the service and also going into a little bit more depth. So let's read through the gospel definition out loud again this morning. It'll be up on the screen. Let's go. One, two, three. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving to be the Son of God and offering to the, sorry, (laughs) sins to everyone who repents and believes. You see, you don't have to have perfect grammar to get that. And again, as I said, it's not about just being able to say it. It's about understanding it and being able to share it. So, Last week we had Francia, the week before we had Sibu share a part of the gospel. This morning I'm going to ask Simeon, and as he gets ready, once he is done sharing, um, I've got the joy to, to tell you guys that we've got Mark Griffiths and Marion and their family with us this morning, all the way from every nation, Stellenbosch. Mark is going to continue um, our series this morning in Out in the Open. Mark is a dear friend. Uh, Mark and Marion, when I think about you guys, I think about steadfastness. Uh, your steadfastness in family, your steadfastness in ministry, your steadfastness in friendship. Mark and I are studying together. We had the joy of um, sharing a hotel room in Manila a couple of months ago when we were there. And steadfastly, every single night as I want to sleep, Mark started asking me deep questions. <laughs> um, but honestly, when I look at the two of you guys, that word steadfastness um, just sings over your life. I had the joy on Monday this week to go out with the students uh, on campus and do the God test, which is a tool where you engage people uh, on campus or wherever and and ask them if they believe in God and what they believe, and it leads to sharing the gospel. And I was out with their team uh, on campus on, on Monday, and we really saw the Lord move mightily, but it's also because there's faithfulness and leadership in what you guys are building. So I'm sharing all of that so that you guys open your hearts this morning for what Mark is going to be sharing, but I'm going to hand over to my good friend this morning, Simeon. This is not Mark. Mark is sitting there. Simeon is coming. It's right here. Uh, To encourage us in the third part of our gospel understanding. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Over to you. Great. Thanks, Peter. Um, So my name is Simeon, for those that don't know me, and we have been looking at the, the what is the gospel. Um, so the beginning was the gospel is the good news that Sibu did quite well for us. I'm um, sharing her testimony, and that's a part of what we have to do. We have to share our testimony. We have to explain to people, like, why am I a Christian? 
Like, why is this important that people believe the gospel? Because the gospel is the foundation of us as believers. If you don't get the gospel right, then things are going to go wonky throughout your Christian life. You can come to church, you can pray, but if you don't know what the gospel is at all, um, or have it half right, and almost is it not yet, um, and, and we want to take you through it step by step. So we looked at uh, the gospel being the good news. We looked at, I've got it here in front of me, um, that Jesus became, oh, God became man in Jesus, and now we're looking at he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And I'm going to break it up into two pieces, um, starting with he lived the life we should have lived. And I don't know about you, but one of the most condemning things, the most condemning, um, crushing, um, guilt-inducing feelings um, comes from this phrase, I should have. In your life, how many times have you said that? I should have. I should have not stopped gymming when I got married. (laughs) I should have Listen to my wife yesterday evening when she told me where the lighter was, and I just didn't look there. <laughs> um, I should have been kinder to those around me. I should have um, loved my parents more. I should have listened to them more. Um, I should have is something that just adds up in our lives. And I'm sure if you sit here and you had a little piece of paper and you were to write down all the I should haves, the list would just get longer and longer and longer and longer. And this is something that we can explain to people. Like, we all have this common experience of, I should have. And it breaks us sometimes, because some of these I should haves are, are, are funny. <laughs> I should have jumped more. Um, but some of them are crushing. Some of them are past experiences we had where we knew we should have done something important. Something that, where the consequences broke relationships, um, uh, took away love, took away care, um, stopped grace, and those are the crushing things. And on the inside, we all have uh, some sense of uh, justice, um, righteousness. We're like, I want to make something right, but I cannot. Some things I can, smaller things maybe. Um, You can ask for forgiveness. For some things, and then everything's just right. That's okay. Not too bad. But what about the thing you did 10 years ago? Like, how do you make that right? There are a lot of should-haves, I should-haves in our lives. And when we take away the, the top-level I should-haves, we see that there is a more important I should-have. Everything goes down into I should-have lived the life I was created to live. Because we believe there is a God. We believe that he created us. And this is part of the gospel. God created us to live for him and for his glory. But I don't. I didn't in that situation. I wasn't loving towards him. I didn't act the way that he wanted me to act in that situation. I should have been obedient. I should have loved like he loved So when we scratch away all those I should-haves, we ultimately get to what we know ultimately. I was created to be someone, to God. I was created for a relationship with Him. And all of our I should-haves combined gets us into the world that we're in now. We're in a world full of I should-haves, and it doesn't look the way that we, we intrinsically know it should. But... Here's the good news. 
There is one person that lived every I should have right. There's no I should have for Jesus. He just did. Great. Good news. Jesus did everything right. But what about me? Because if you're following, you're going, okay, he did everything right. But what about me? Because that doesn't really help if there's one person that did everything right. And I'm still here going, I should have. So that takes us to the second part. So he did everything right. He doesn't have any regrets. Jesus doesn't regret anything he ever did. I do. (laughs) It's not very helpful. Um, And and the second part takes us into he died the death that we should have died. And and, and I spoke about that intrinsic knowledge that, that we need to make something right. And because God built it into the foundation of the world, he built his righteousness into the way he creates the world. We, we have to make restitution for the things that we've done wrong. But how? And if you can't, what, what awaits? Well, God is going to make everything right. And I'm in trouble <laughs> because I don't have the ability, um, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the, the know-how to go back in time and to correct myself. Um, and what awaits someone that has not been obeying God? Judgment. And this is the scary condemning part of the gospel where we have to share with people there is something waiting for you, for the person that just did not live the way that God made him to live, the way that God made her to live. And now Jesus comes, so he's, he's done everything right. I'm, I'm facing God, and now all of a sudden, this amazing switch happens. So for those that love theology... There's a term that we use called penal substitutionary atonement. Now, that's a fun phrase that you can throw out at the next braai. If you love talking theology around the fireplace, like I know every church member does, <laughs> penal substitutionary atonement just says legally penal, substitutionary, he took our place, atonement, and he made right with God. So, legally, God looks at us and he says, I see the righteousness of Jesus. Like, and, and because it's legal, it's legal, you can't change it. And it's right in front of Jesus. I'm now right in front of Jesus, in front of God, because of what Jesus did. But you're going, um... What about the all I should have? God looks at you and Jesus swapped places with you legally and now he just sees Jesus' righteousness. Okay, well, let me just bring this down. I recently got married. Thanks. <laughs> but, okay, so legally, legally I'm married. But I, I need to live myself into that position. Because sometimes I act like a bachelor. <laughs> which causes issues, but legally I'm married. So I have a legal position that if people look at us, on paper we're going, we're married legally. <laughs> yeah, Peter did it. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> um, but sometimes I still have moments where I, I don't act like the legal position I'm in. But when people look at me, legally I'm married. What, what if you're someone's... Um, here, here's another example. Uh, a South African citizen. 
Legally, I'm a South African citizen. I can learn French and start following the French rules and, and dressing French, but I'm legally a South African student, oh, a, a citizen. And so there's a legal position that we are in when God looks at us. Legally, he looks at us and says, you are right with me, and I'm not holding all the I should have's against you because they've been paid for. And if you know something about um, legal interactions, transactions, you cannot be punished legally for the same crime twice. And that's what God looks at. You've paid, Jesus paid for everything, past, present, future, legally, you're fine. And that's what he sees. And that's the good news of the gospel. So, I should have, I didn't. He did. And now we swap places, legally. So that when God looks at me, he says, you are at one with me. You are atoned. You are righteous. No matter what you've done, because that's been paid for, this is the legal way that I see you. And that is part of the gospel. Great, Mark. Great. I think we're ready to go home after that. Are we done? Yeah, is it lunchtime? Are we, okay, you don't mind? Is it too early? Do we have to, uh, do we have to stay here for a short while? No, that was great. Um, so, so blessed. I think half my message is preached, so I think I'll just cut, cut mine down a little bit, a little bit shorter. But just uh, uh, such a joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, Pierre, thank you so much for, for having me. I can see some familiar faces that uh, I've known for a long time. And uh, just such a joy to, yeah, to, to be able to see you and, and just see your faithfulness in the, in the gospel and uh, laying hold of all that God has for you. It's really just such a, such a joy. Leading a series out in the open. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up. I know that you're faithful to bring them, bring them to church. And, uh, but Pierre, yeah, well done to you and Helena for just standing firm and uh, laying hold of all that God has, has got for you uh, and for the church. I was just blessed as we were praying for Nigeria earlier. A couple of years ago, the Lord put the area of northern Nigeria on my heart, and it was awfully weird. Um, I used to get into worship, and uh, I would battle to worship because I had uh, tears coming to my, to, you know, uh, tears were starting to flow. I was thinking about northern Nigeria. Now, that's not quite me, uh, as, uh, as somebody who's going to always be weeping in worship and, and crying over Nigeria. But I didn't realize that the Lord was birthing something, and uh, we've got a lot of uh, Nigerian pastors that study with us at the theology faculty there in Stellenbosch. And one of them, who's very became quite close to us, went back uh, right up in the north, and he was running a pastor's conference. And at that meeting, Boko Ram came in and completely slaughtered all the people that were there in the room. And it left um, all the children just orphaned, no, no parents. But from that, we were able to, we, well, we, we do, We've, we started a school and an and and orphanage for them, and just to see how God is restoring a little bit and, and redeeming. And he, if, I would have never been able to respond if the Lord hadn't put that nation on my heart 
and we were able to dive in and some wonderful things have taken place uh, which we don't have time to share but sometimes when the prompting of the Holy Spirit comes listen to it it's not just coincidence there's no there's no coincidence in God's kingdom God is for you he's trying to work things out but he's waiting to see will we respond will we choose to line up with what he's doing because we have a choice amen okay on that uh, positive note uh, I'm gonna be speaking this morning about a gospel community so 1 Peter 1 from verse 17 to 25 we're going to be looking at that scripture just one other uh, testimony one of the guys who Pierre and I are studying with by the way please be very gracious with Pierre uh, during his studies he's he's my senior in, in the moment at varsity uh, I'm a junior in my first year and I realize how much work goes into it so um, you will be blessed as time goes on so thank you for that but one of the guys in my class his name is Dat and he is from Vietnam, and we were sitting over coffee um, at, the, at the one restaurant, and we're like, hey, telling each other stories, and Dad started to just share his life, his circumstances, and I was like, wow, persecution's real. Persecution, what he's facing, I don't face, and I just sat and I, I listened, because as we go through 1 Peter, it says that as Christians, persecution will come, and it should come, if we're living right and we're living for his gospel. So Dad was just sharing how he's in every nation Vietnam, um, probably an area the size of sort of Cape Town. It's a big, big area. And they kind of move from house to house, depending how long they can stay there before they're kicked out. Um, their church is not one of the registered churches, so there's a lot of persecution. But him and his team have decided ahead of time that when they get persecuted, when they get challenged, when they get asked, they won't lie and pretend that we're just, you know, watching the rugby here, but we are meeting as Christians and we will share our testimony. So ahead of time, the secret police come in, the religious uh, 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 police come in, and they have decided ahead of time to use every moment. So they said they've got a captive audience when this happens because the people come and they've got to listen to their story about why they're there. So they tell them, this is what my life was like, this is what Jesus did for me. And now, here, this is what my life is like. And he said the people are just dumbfounded. They don't know how to respond. Because how can you change from that to that? How does that happen? And they said that they choose to share their testimony no matter what the consequences are like. That is the community that they've lived in. One time they were, they were there and the... I was going to say the chief priest, the, the chief security officer, uh, and his job is to just make your life incredibly difficult, uh, not fun when he comes around. The guys who come in their, in their uniforms, they fine, but the ones that come undercover, uh, that's who you've got to watch out for. So the main guy comes in, and Dat was saying that he wasn't giving them as much of a hard time as what he could have, and he couldn't quite work this out. Our uh, Nation Church there is linked under a Baptist church. So they gave all their details to him. Next week, he followed up with the Baptist pastor. So Dat and his team went through to check if they'd ticked all the boxes and everything was fine, otherwise they were gonna be kicked out again. And he started chatting to this Baptist pastor, and he said, during COVID, this top secret police, um, the, one, the one in charge, was fearful about COVID and was asking him to please pray that his family would be safe, that they won't die because there was so much death happening around them. 
he shared the gospel with them. He was taking food with them to, to them. This, this Baptist pastor, he was reaching out to them. And he thinks he secretly got saved in the process. Now, the main guy whose job description is to persecute the Christians has got a bit of a conflict of interest now at the, at the moment. And he's in that position, and we, who knows what's going to happen, but it happened because there was somebody who wasn't scared to be able to share the gospel, wasn't scared to pray for somebody, wasn't scared to be able to take them food, and that sharing the gospel came at a high price. It, it, it could have been prison, but the Lord used it, and that is the community they have not to shy back from sharing the gospel. So I was, I was just so encouraged about that. Amen. So you're going to see how it kind of fits together in a, in a moment, but... Um, you can go to my slides. I'm actually going to read with you 1 Peter 1 from 17. I think you ended there last week uh, through to 25, and then I'll come back. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him, sorry, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For, and then he quotes um, Isaiah here. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that he has preached to you. Father, I thank you for your word that is life-giving to each one of us. Lord, I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one, that you would line us up with what you want to say, that you would encourage us, that you would correct us, that we would hear what you've got to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's one Peter. Uh, Peter's I was always about to say Paul. Peter's writing to a, a, group of, a group of Christians who, because of their new identity in Christ, he's charging them how to live right within an environment of persecution that they're coming in. And he speaks about their identity, and he speaks about their foreigners and all those things, and how they're called on a mission. And then there's two things that stand out in chapter one. Firstly, that they're called to live holy lives. They're called to live lives that are set apart because of what Christ has done for us. And then the second part is because of that holy lives, you're also called to love each other well. Those are the two things. So you've kind of, I'm leaving out the first part. I want to look today at how we're called to love each other well. We're called to be in a community, but Peter does it awfully funny. And he gets us there, but a different way. And this is what I want to actually share with you today. So my first point is that your choices truly matter. In this portion of Scripture, it says that, um, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through your time in exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways that you inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver and gold. So here we see something interesting. It says, if you have called upon God as your father, if you call upon his father because he's ransomed you, he called upon you as your son and daughter, now we get to call upon him as father. But if we call upon him as father, know which father you're calling upon. Because here's the father who judges impartially. This is not a father who kind of winks and nods at every choice that you make and never says a, a word whenever it has dire consequences, like he's passive and he's not involved. No, no, he's a good father. He's a father that will correct us, sometimes a bit of healthy discipline, Hebrews 12, okay? He's a father that is involved. He's not somebody who that we can just get familiar with. Say, oh, I've got a heavenly father, he loves me, he's gracious, I can do whatever I want. That is not the father that Peter is speaking about. But he's a father who, who judges righteously, who judges correctly, he judges fairly. He judges you knowing what you're called to, what you've been through. He knows your past, he knows your present. He judges perfectly knowing every part of your circumstances that you've ever gone through. None of us in this room will ever be able to judge like that. That's why we're called not to judge one another. Thank goodness we get to leave that up to our Father. But this judgment here he's speaking about is not the judgment of whether you're going to get to heaven or whether you're going to get to hell. That was settled when Jesus Christ died for us. That judgment was, was paid for. I can be uh, uh, secure because of that. I don't wake up worried, do I need to do good works today? Do I need to do something better? Gosh, I kicked my toe and a word came out of my mouth that I didn't like, and now, gosh, now, am I really going to heaven? No, 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 no. My eternal future is secure because of the price that Jesus Christ paid for us. This judgment here that Peter's speaking about is the things that you have done now as exiles, as foreigners, as ones who have got an, the, the, an identity in Christ, as men and women who have called to live holy and given a purpose to live for, he wants to judge you now on the life that we should live, there we go, that we should live so that he can reward you well. There are five crowns that are available for you when you get to heaven. The father's desperately, he's saying, guys, everything you do now is not a waste. Every, if the way that you live has got purpose, it's got meaning. And I see that. I see your suffering. I see what you're going through. I see where you're choosing to be faithful. I see where you're choosing to share my gospel. I, choose, I see you where you're choosing to be able to live righteously. I see all these moments where you chose not to live for yourself, but to live for the honor and the glory of the Father. It's not in waste. It's not in vain. Your Father sees every single moment. And He's asking us to live lives that are in line with who he's told us who we are. Sons and daughters redeemed by the heavenly father. So he's saying here that our choices truly do matter, okay? And then he goes on to say there that as a father who, who judges impartially according to each one of these, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, should we be Conducting ourselves with a fear of, man, if I get it wrong, what's going to happen to me? Like, I'm scared of either what's going to happen or I'm scared about God. No, this fear that he's talking about has got two types of meanings. It's got conduct ourselves with a reverence for who God is, that he is great and he's loving and he's kind and he's my father, but he's also all-powerful. And in his, compared to him, I'm just insignificant. 
But at the same time, how amazing that this great, almighty, powerful God chooses to relate to me as a son and him as a father and you as a daughter. That is incredible. So there's a, 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 an element of us having a reverence form. But a key element here says, why in fear? Because if it goes on and it says there that um, knowing fear, uh, with fear throughout our time in exile, knowing that we were ransomed, he's saying there should be a healthy consequence that we should know our true worth. When we know our true value before God, you know how precious you are. You know that you are called with a significant purpose. You know that the most uh, greatest price that was ever to be paid was paid for you. And that is how valuable God sees you. In light of how worthy you are and how priceless you are, Live a life that lines up with that. That's the fear. The fear is that we live a life and we don't regard what God's done. We live a life and we don't take into consideration what he's done for us. We live a life we don't realize who we are. That is what he's trying to get to us and then what he's trying to get through to us. That we would, there's a reflection above here that I'm uh, uh, trying to see what my notes have to say here. Okay, he places a great worth upon our life. And this awareness of the worth that we have should motivate us to make right choices. Do you know, friends, I just love what was, was shared earlier. You cannot overestimate how worthy you are before God. You cannot overestimate how loved you are, how precious you are. You know, on your, on your best day, where you're thinking, man, I'm having a good day. You know, my wife loves me, and uh, it's just, it's all good, Okay. That pales in significance of how much God loves you. You can never sort of say it too much. You can never be aware of his love too much. You can never be aware or try and think that you are too worthy. You are priceless in his sight. And because of that, he's saying, let your choices line up with how I see you. Let's have a, a, a healthy fear, an awareness, not to live a life that doesn't take into consideration how he sees me. That is what he's trying to get each one of us to see. For God ransomed, Paul says he demonstrates this here, about how worthy you are because of the great price that he was willing to pay. He says he didn't use gold and silver that you were bought with, because gold and silver are just an earthly uh, exchange, but this was an eternal exchange that took place because gold and silver are going to disappear. He needed to find something that was going to last longer than gold and silver and Bitcoin and property prices and all of those things, something that was even more worthy, and that was the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, an eternal exchange took place. And that is why you're going to live forever if we've accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. The Father could not pay a higher price for your life. He couldn't. You, you would not be able to think of a higher price that your life could have been paid for. And that is how magnificent you are. The Bible says here that he's really redeemed us from a life of worthlessness to a life that is worthy of his purposes. You went from 
worthless to a life full of purposes. And you've got a purposeful life. And now he's saying, I want you to choose to line up with that type of life. And the, the healthy fear is that I don't just take it for granted and live anywhere I want. And I get to the end and realize, gosh, Father, based upon who I am and my identity and what you've called me to and these moments of good works and opportunities to share your love and opportunities to be a community and opportunities to extend your kingdom, I didn't live, it, I didn't live that out because I didn't think I was worthy enough. He says, no, you are worthy, every single one of you. Amen. Friends, we've got a choice. We, we really do. Your choices do matter. It's not, sometimes it's not just going to happen. I'll never forget a, a friend of mine, uh, before I came into ministry, I met them at the uh, Kutzenberg gym parking lot there in Stellenbosch. And uh, I, I was chatting with her, and she recounted a sermon that you had, but the Holy Spirit made it come alive in my heart. He said, even though that each one of us are called with a purpose, God is gracious enough to give us the choice to see, are we going to line up with that or not? Our choices do matter. You've got choices if you want to love your family, if you don't want to love your family. If you want to line up with God's will perfectly or not. Is he always going to be there? Is he always going to love you? Is he always going to be right there? He is. But our choices do matter. And that's what we're going to, we're going to have a look at. We're going to see. Because that's why he goes in that, in that scripture. He says, conduct yourselves. And our conducting ourselves is to be able to choose wisely. So our choices after that transaction truly matter. Think of how much and what he's done for you. That's why he wants us to think of the gospel and live there all the time. Amen. Okay, my next point. Verse 19. Redemption motivates us. But we are paid for or bought with the precious blood of Christ. Like the lamb without blemish, without spot, and he foreknew before the foundation of the world, which was manifest in the, manifest in the last time for, you, this, for you the sake of you. Who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in him. Friends, your great value is measured by the price that he is willing to pay. And we know that that was the blood of Jesus. That word redemption or redeemed is talking about a financial transaction to buy back something legally that was shared. And it talks about us being taken out of a slavery, out of a bondage, out of the yokes and the sin that were weighing us down. You were legally bought back in that way. And when Jesus came to earth, this wasn't plan B. It wasn't like, well, let's see what happens here. Okay, didn't, history didn't kind of work out uh, uh, as we should. Humans took really, made really bad choices. So here's my plan B of what I wanted to do. No, Jesus was known before the world was even created that we would choose and make our choices, and it was always in the Father's heart that he would send his son to pay the price for you so that you could be brought in even closer than Adam and Eve, that you could have a closer loving relationship even than that. So it was right before the foundation of the world. Why? So that he could bring grace and mercy to you, so that he could demonstrate how much he loved you. The Father wants us to remember Jesus being on the cross, because that should move us and motivate us in our heart. We've got a friend that's flying around here today. Okay. So he, he, he did that. He said that so that we would be born again. 
that we would be born again, the reason why we can have hope is because when we give our lives to Christ, we accept what He has done for us, it changes our identity. It changes the future of who we are. Jesus says that nobody comes to the Father except through Him. There is no other way that we can make right and, and come to the Father except by accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us. This week, we shared again with hundreds of students, literally the gospel, some people for the very first time, there is no way to come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. I'm going to fly through a little bit of, uh, of this here. But when we were redeemed, the price was paid, we were redeemed, Galatians 3.13 says, uh, from the curse of the law. You're no longer under that law, under that religion, under that bondage. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward, okay? We were uh, redeemed to righteousness, okay? In other words, we were redeemed or bought so that we could be in right standing with the Father. Now, you might not feel like it. You might not feel it today. But are you? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are righteous. That is who you are. Now, we, it's much easier to believe that and accept that because that is who you are. You are now in that position. How did this actually take place? I want to just share this with you just to be able to paint this picture to, to remind, remind you. On the very last supper, um, John 14, G, uh, Jesus chatting with his disciples, and his summary is this. He tells them two things. I'm going away, but take heart. I'm going away for a little while, and then I'm coming back. When I come back, I'm going to give you peace, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you peace and the Holy Spirit. John 16, the disciples are kind of talking to themselves, saying, what did, he, well, what did he mean by a little while he's going away and then a little while he's coming back? And he explains, I've got to go, in a little while I'm going to my Father, and in a little while I'm coming back to you. That is what we see take place. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. The disciples, he's forewarning them so they won't be upset because they, they're about to lose him. They're about to see him going to the cross. And something incredible happens in that first Easter. Jesus comes out of the grave, has a quick chat with Mary, tells Mary to please go and tell these uh, disciples of his not to worry. He's going to be coming soon. Okay, He needed uh, to tell Mary because the guys wouldn't have got that right. So he, he, he meets them. He sees her. As he sees Mary in, uh, um, oh man, I've got to leave things out. As, he, as, he, as Mary sort of recognizes that it's Jesus, because she thought it was, a, was a gardener, she starts to run up to him, and he says, Mary, don't touch me, or don't cling to me. Don't cling to me in a way that the person who, who touched the hem of Jesus' garment uh, got healed. Don't touch me. He says, I have not ascended to my father. Isn't that fascinating? That was in the morning. Then the evening comes, and then here's Jesus. He just walks through the walls. Meets his disciples, has some fish, talks to them. They, what does he do? He says, my peace be with you. And he gives peace to them. And we know that later he says, come and touch my hands. You know, that's what he has a moment there with, um, with one of the other disciples. He's inviting them to come close. But what happened between the morning and the evening? Well, we see Jesus was hanging on the cross. He took his last breath. Darkness comes over. Just an incredible, incredible moment. He goes, uh, uh, um, he's put in the grave. But we know for that three, for that three days, Jesus goes down into, into hell or Hades or the place of waiting. The Bible talks about it. And he goes and preaches to the Old Testament saints who are waiting there for him. He has that moment with them. 
They would have been longing and putting their trust in the coming Messiah. This is what the Scripture, scripture tells us, okay, about that. Uh, Ephesians 4 goes and looks on a few, few things like that. The place of the departed, the place of waiting. In that moment, he says to the, the, the Old Testament saints, guys, I've got to go back up to my father. But before I get there, I need to take one little detour here, here on earth, and I've got to give a, a message to Mary because my disciples are getting anxious, and they need to be just calmed down a little bit. So what do the Old Testament saints say? Well, Jesus, we haven't been to Jerusalem in a very long time. Wouldn't you mind if we just go with you a little bit? Can't we, can't we go with you? And thinking, Mark, what are you talking about? Well, if we have a look at Scripture in Matthew 27, verse 51, it says, After the resurrection, they came walking into the holy city. Here we've got Isaiah now comes in the holy city. David would have been in the holy city. The two of them were walking around, okay, and they would have been said, Man, what's that coffee shop doing over there? That's where I used to play ball. They were the, the, the Old Testament saints, like almost ghosts to some of them, were walking around. That's pretty strange. But why? Jesus was going somewhere. Where was he going? He was going to the Father. So he meets with Mary. You can look in your Bible and you can read this over and over and over again and you can see that it is true. So he tells Mary, okay, at this time, don't worry or don't touch me. I haven't been yet to the Father. But in the evening, he goes through the walls and he proclaims to the disciples and he fellowships with them and they touch him. Something must have happened between the morning and, and the evening. What happened in the afternoon? What happened in the afternoon? Well, here we're going to see where Psalm 24 tells us. Psalm 24 reveals what would have happened in that moment. So Jesus is now ascends in between in that moment and goes up into heaven. But now the gates are closed. And you can just imagine, here, I'm going to, I, need to, I need to read this too. You can just imagine what's actually happening. Because he's walking up and he sees the gates are closed and the, uh, all the Old Testament saints would have been, man, I recognize that. I see that. I see. And what do they do? They start quoting Psalm 24, 7 that says this, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, O you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And then, the, the, then one of the uh, protector angels would have sh start to shout back and he says, who is this King of glory? And you can just imagine the, the kind of the, the, the Old Testament saints, now they're getting excited. And they, you can just imagine them shouting, come on, boys, let's tell him. Let's tell him. Let's tell him. And in unison, they shout, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And they just march in there. They go straight into the Holy of Holies where the Father's waiting. And once and for all, for all of us, He presents His blood on the Holy of Holies. And He says, in all of heaven and all of earth, the redemption price has been paid. These men, these women, they can be redeemed and chosen and bought. And they are now secure and forever because of this once and for all sacrifice that was made. No more lambs being sacrificed, no more bulls, no more goats, no more scapegoats, no other ritual that we set out. Jesus did it once, and we don't have to sacrifice anymore. And it was in that he was glorified and given the name that was above every other name. And I tell you, that's one thing I can't wait to look at that rerun when we get to heaven, because those Old Testament saints would have been excited. Jesus now, been given and redeemed and glorified, now has got the ability just to walk through walls and come down. And in that, he says, guys, I'm here now. I was gone for a little while. I'm back. My peace. My Holy Spirit. 
I'm giving this because you need peace, because you're living among some turbulation, and there's going to be some challenges. But you know what? I'm with you. What this world was offering you and everything that it was trying to tempt you with is nothing compared to the life of glorifying and honoring God. That is why conduct yourselves well in this way so that you can choose to give him the glory and the honor that was due his name. Amen? Amen. And if you want to know more about that, you can look at Daniel 7, which kind of goes into, uh, goes into a little bit of the, uh, the, the practicality of, of what actually happened there in our life. And I want to just close with this point now, the last one. Verse 21. That redemption should motivate us so that our hope and our faith can be rooted in God. Look what he's done for us. Man, my hope can be there. Amen? Now, because of that, now only he goes on to say, love each other well. Know you're valuable. Know the price that was paid for your life. Know that you've got a purpose worth living for. Let that motivate you in how you conduct yourself within the community and the house of God. Um, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience. Our obedience doesn't make us right before God. That was what Jesus did for us. It's not saying as you, obe as you obey God now that you're going to get in right standing. No, no, you are in right standing. But there's something about when we obey God, we do what is right. How many of you know when we're living righteously, you're not living in life of sin? You're lining up with who you are, being holy. You're not worthless. You're lining up with your worthiness. And the consequences that you're experiencing in your own soul by living uh, uh, righteously has a purifying effect on our lives. I mean, choose to live in sin and see what it does to your own soul. Choose to ask forgiveness and to make right. See what it does to your soul. There's a purifying effect in that way. And he says, um, uh, 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 since, uh, and then he says, uh, your obedience for the truth, for your sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And he says, because of what I've done, guys, I want you to go all out. I want you to be earnest. That, that, that word literally is like a, um, the Greek word is kind of like a going all out. A bird landed on my wife's head. That's a, that's a, that's a first, okay? And uh, um, I've got a funny story about two, uh, no, I can't do that now. Uh, okay, so he's saying earnestly go after living this life of love. It's like a, a coach says to the players, guys, leave it all out on the field. Give it your best. Do your best during your game. That's the type of motivation he's saying. He's saying, because of this temporary life that we live in, this frail life, this life that is about to fade away, because it's so temporary and it's so short, do your very best to love each other well and let it be genuine and let it be earnest. That is what he's kind of actually getting at here today. Because of... Uh, right at the end, um, it's kind of quoting our Isaiah uh, 40 and saying, because of the grass that fades away, is looking at your life, he said, because it's so short and so insignificant, do your best to love each other because the Father loves you. Let that be the motivation that you have in your life. Let every nation, Somerset West, 
because of the blood of Jesus Christ, know that I'm redeemed by the blood. My neighbor's redeemed by the blood. I've been forgiven by Jesus. They've been forgiven by Jesus. Let his sacrifice change the way that we see it. I agree that the finished work of the cross, of what Jesus has done, is my foundation. Let us agree that the finished work of the cross is our foundation. Let us agree about that so that we can embrace each other. The same blood that was shed for me, shed for you. The same blood that binds me with the Father, binds you. Let us not let um, race or age or gender or language bring a division where the blood of Jesus Christ has paid that full price for everybody because we all are on the same foundation. Friends, what Jesus did at the cross for us is just too exciting and it's too great. And you are too valuable to live a small life, to live an insignificant life. You are purchased and redeemed and called. There are good works that the Father's got for you. It's going to be to take somebody a meal and to share that word with them. It's going to be do things in different countries, and we're going to be planting churches, and, and we're going to be seeing the, 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 uh, the gospel advance. We're going to do all of that because God has called us for a purpose. I don't want to not live out and embrace everything the Father's had, God, for us. And he's gracious to work with us. But let me tell you, the closer you walk with him, the more you realize that I'm loved and I'm safe and I'm secure and I can risk everything for him because that is my foundation. I'm not trying to compete with the world around me and live, live up to what they call to be worthy. No, we've been told we're exiles. Stop trying to like, fit in. You can't fit in. You're not going to feel comfortable. So, so, so let that rest. It's time to be able to be obedient to him because of the joy that we have before us. He had a plan with Jesus, and he, his life, his death, his resurrection, he's got a plan for your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection. And it's our greatest privilege that we have. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, I thank you that it is an absolute privilege to know you. It's a privilege to call upon Jesus as our Savior, as our friend. Father, we sometimes forget how much you love us. Thank you that you sent your Son, that you died for us. Thank you that you paid a price more than we can even wrap our minds around. Thank you that you did that for us. Lord, this morning, in our hearts, we're wanting to choose. There's times you prompt us. There's times you nudge us. There's times which are clear from Scripture the times where we're stepping out in faith. Lord, we want to live a life that's worthy of your sacrifice. We want to go all out in our love that we have for you. Thank you that today that you would help us not worry about ourselves, but learn to love others better. Father, I thank you that we are safe. We don't have to protect ourselves. Help us, Father, to share that love with others. Pray today, Lord, for people in this room that might just not accept how much you love them. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you make it real? Would you cause their hearts and their minds to come alive to you in Jesus' name? Just while nobody's looking around, if there's anybody here, you say, Mark, I'm not sure if I've really, truly accepted what Jesus has done for me. I don't know if I have really accepted him as my Lord and my Savior and put my trust in him. But today, I want to make that decision to put my trust in this Jesus who did this amazing work for me. 
while nobody's, while nobody's looking, I'll just raise up here and say, Mark, will you pray for me? I want to make that choice today. Is there anybody that wants to make that decision to put your faith and your trust in Christ today? And I trust that everybody here that has, has done that. And Father, I pray that even this week that you would open up opportunities to be able to love better, opportunities to respond to you. Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us so that Jesus could be glorified even more. Amen. That's great. I think my best Sundays are the ones that I want to go home and just open up my Bible and study more, right? Thank you, Mark, for sharing that. Thank you, Simeon, for what you shared. I love the richness that we have in the Word, that it's always giving. And let's, as I've said last week and the week before, let's take this time to read through 1 Peter every week. Read through it again this week. Slow down in your reading. Understand it. Read the footnotes. Read the connections. Because these connections are just telling the story of God all over again. And this morning, I want to bless you with three things. I want to bless you with the Father's love over your life and you understanding how much you are worthy in His eyes. I want to bless you, secondly, with a reminder of Christ's redemption. That He took the legal place that you should have stood in. And I want to bless you with the Holy Spirit awakening in you the love that you should have for one another. Have an amazing week. We will have our AGM in five minutes. There will be a countdown. If you want to join us, you're welcome. It would be lovely. Um, if you don't, there's coffee outside. Our friend is ready to serve you guys uh, at the coffee stall. So join us out there and have a blessed week. Amen.